The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Yesterday, we began looking at Job's first answer to Eliphaz the Temanite. Ultimately, we saw that after he appealed to the sympathy of his friends, he appealed to the mercy of God, and he exclaimed, I will not live always. Join us today as we see the rest of Job's answer and learn how that his hope lay not in what's here and now, but in the world to come. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Bless the Lord, oh my
said my flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust now I've been sick before but I've never been this sick that's that's gross and it's also so burdensome when it happens to you look at verse 6 my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope <laughs> here he's saying not only is life futile now he starts talking about the fact that life is short Life is futile, it's vanity, and life is short. I, I, I looked it up because we don't, we don't really deal with weaver shuttles anymore. Uh, maybe some of you worked in factories where they use them. But essentially, a shuttle is what carries the yarn back and forth in a loom. And that loom, as you're constantly pushing it and pulling it, it's got strings of yarn, strings of twine here, and then that, that shuttle goes back and forth. And to make it work right, it's just, you know, you're constantly pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling, sending that shuttle under, sending that shuttle back, sending that shuttle back and back and forth constantly. And it's just a wearisome thing to watch. Ultimately, it's, I can't imagine doing that all day. And weavers do that, and it's a constant thing. And, he said, and it's fast, it's swift. And before you know it, the, the yarn is gone. The cloth is created and it's finished. And that's what he's saying. My days are going by like that. We might put it in terms like this today. We might say my life is like an hourglass. And you know, when you turn that hourglass over at first, it looks like the sand's just trickling through. You young folks, keep this in mind. I don't mean to discourage you, okay? But right now, you know, when I was 10 or 11 years old, you know, Christmas was a great day. And then the day after Christmas was terrible because I realized I had a whole year before Christmas is going to roll around again. And it seemed like it crawled. It seemed like it would never get here. You know what I said to Sherry just the other day? I can't believe that Christmas is almost already here again. It seemed like just yesterday. I, you young folks, when you're young, you think differently about time than you do when you get older. That sand in the hourglass seems to be trickling out, but the lower it gets, it seems to be flying out of there. The older I get, the faster time flies. And that's what he's saying. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they're spent without hope. It's bad enough that they're fast, but I don't have any hope in these days. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall no more see good. Compares his life to the wind. And that's biblical. That's biblical. It's in the Bible here. But it's also in the Bible elsewhere. James 4.14 says, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. 
It's just a vapor. It's not even really smoke. Smoke is more substantive than a vapor. A vapor is just like a little something that comes off the heat of a, of a kettle or the heat of a pot. And next thing you know, that water vapor is just gone. It's dissipated. Life is so short. And verses 8 through 10 just tell us pretty much that he's, he's talking about the grave. He says, The eye of him that has seen me shall see me no more. Verse 9, as a cloud is consumed and vanished away, so he that goeth down in the grave shall come up no more. Verse 10, he shall no more return to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. In other words, death is coming for all of us. Death is inevitable. And once it comes, all this, these homes and, the, and the, the stuff we have, we'll never see them again and people won't see us anymore. You know, it's, it's, a, it's tantamount to the saying you often hear today, life is hard and then you die, you know. And the point of that is that people are making when they say it is, it, is that it's sure point, life is pointless. Life is hopeless. Even, as, even the best of life will end in death. You know, that's what happens when we get our vision focused on that which is going on around us. When we get our vision horizontal and we get it off the vertical, and there's no worse place for that to happen than right in the midst of suffering along the lines of what Job was suffering. He says life is futile and life is short. And then beginning in verse 11 and down through the rest of the chapter, Job begins to appeal to God primarily. He says in verses 11 through 15, essentially, God, I am so burdened here. I'm so burdened. Look at verse 11. Therefore, I, he's, he's laid out his case. He said, here's the heaviness, the futility of life, the comfortlessness of his friends. And he says, therefore, will I not refrain my mouth? I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I want to stop right there and say to you, there's a sense in which this is okay. This is okay. David, when he was stuck in the cave over there with all those, all those uh, ne'er-do-wells that had come to him, all the ones that were outcasts that had come to him, he said, my soul is among lions. He was talking about all the problems he had. And then he says, basically, I laid out my case before the Lord. Did you know it's okay? It's okay to take your complaint to God. It's okay like Job in the midst of it. I've had those days. I've had those days not too long ago, a day when I felt like all I could do was complain to the Lord. And I don't mean complain and murmur against Him, but complain to Him. Lay out my complaint and my situation. God, this is more than I can bear. This is more than I can handle. I need you to help me. Let me, let me take the book of my suffering and the book of my problems and let me turn it around to you and let you and me go through it together. There's, that's okay. He tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace, because we'll find grace to help in time of need. There's a sense in which this is okay, but what Job is doing here, I'm afraid, is he's more complaining than he is laying out his complaint to, the, to God. He says, I'm going to complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest to watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my life. See, he's partly talking to his friends still here. 
He's saying to God, I'm not holding back, God. I'm speaking of the sea. He starts talking about the sea and the whale. The sea is constantly roiling and God has set the boundaries to where it can come to and no further. The whale is a creature of legend to them. Even though it's a real creature, it was terrifying and you must guard against it. He's saying, am I like that? Am I, am I just in the depths of the sea and there's no hope for me? I'm going to drown in my sorrows. And then he says, God... My friends are killing me. <laughs> he says, you scare, you're scared. they're scaring me with dreams. In verse 15, <laughs> I love this. He says, my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my life. In other words, just kill me if I've got to listen to them anymore. <laughs> I'm tired. Of, have you, ever, have you ever been there? You ever said, you know, somebody just keeps running their mouth and keeps, you know, interfering in your problems and, and not giving you any hope, and you finally say, man, just shoot me. <laughs> just shoot me. If he's going to keep talking, just kill me. And then he begins to say, God, he begins to say that very thing. In verse 16, he says, God, I need you to take my life. I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone. My days are vanity. That's a low point in someone's life, isn't it? Job is at a low point in life. I loathe it. I loathe what's happening to me. I hate it. You know, it might be the kin to us saying, I hate it. With all the passion that he can muster. I would not live always. That's sort of the theme of tonight's message. Job has gotten so down in despair that he wants to die and you know who can who can blame him who could blame him for where he's at who could blame job for all the for wanting to die because of all the loss he's experienced who could blame job for wanting to die for the health that he's lost and the struggle i mean i can't imagine it's not just that he's laid up in bed with the flu, he's having to scrape his body with pottery shards in order to keep it from getting infected because he's got these boils all over himself. He's in a position where nobody would want to even see him. When his friends came to see him, they were speechless. They saw him afar off. He didn't even look like himself. Oh, what a terrible state to be in. Who could blame Job for this? And... We talked this morning about suicide just a little bit. And we know that committing suicide, the way you leave this world, doesn't affect where you end up. I know the world teaches that if you kill yourself, then you go to hell. We know that children of God will not go to hell, no matter what happens. But we also saw and are quick to point out that suicide is not the answer. Killing yourself is not the answer. You know why? Because God knows more than you do about your life. You think your life is over? You think it's ended right here? You think that's all there is to it? Job, it looks that way for Job. It looks like his life is over. It looks like there's nothing to live for. Let me ask you this. What do we think of when we get into the depths of suffering? Even the Apostle James pointed it out. You've heard of the patience of Job. What if God had killed him? What if he had taken his own life? We'd be talking about somebody else. 
See, Job is our standard besides Christ, of course. Christ is the ultimate standard, but Job is our standard in patient suffering. You've heard of the patience of Job. Even though Job wanted to be killed, he wanted his life to end. He didn't take it, and, he, and God did not cause his life to end. And now we look to Job as our standard. I'll never forget, and I've used this already in a prior message, but I want to repeat it. My grandmother, McCool, last two or three years of her life, she was miserable. All she could do was sit in the chair. And pretty much Aunt Lorraine would help her up, and she, she just didn't feel like doing anything. And she, she made the statement to me one time. She said, I can't get no better, and I can't get no worse. She would have been fine for the Lord to take her. When the day came for her death, she was ready to go. She was wanting. She was longing for death. And, and she couldn't understand sometimes, I don't know why the Lord's leaving me here. She'd say that. You know why the Lord left her here? I don't know all the reasons, but I know one reason was it inspired one of her grandchildren, <laughs> me, to look to her as an example of patient suffering. You know, why did the Lord allow my dad to get in the shape he got into before he finally died? Well, you know what? I learned a lot of lessons from watching him. For dad's sake, he would have been ready to go. He would, have been, he would have been better off in his own mind, no doubt, to take his own life, although he never even talked about that. He kept such a positive attitude throughout the time. But listen, you may get there. You may be like Elijah. You may get down under the juniper tree and say, it's time to die. I'm ready to go. Take my life or I'm going to take my own life. Beloved, don't do that because it's not about where you end up because you're going to go there regardless of what happens here, but it's about how you serve him in the meantime. That's what we're here to do. We're to serve him and we're not to give up until God says it's time to give up. Job said, I would not live all way, and that's the truth. I'll tell you, I'm glad to stay here right now because I want to help. I want to, I want to see my children uh, as they continue to grow and as they, their families grow. I want to help them if I can. I want to help this church. I want to help uh, pastor. I want to pastor this church in the best way I can. I want to help my friends and family, but I don't want to live always. I don't want to live always. There's going to be a time when I can lay this body down and the burdens of life will be over. That's what Job's saying here. God, take my life. He actually kind of, and we're not going to read it, but verses 17 through 19 here, it's almost a complaint that God is paying too close attention to him. He's almost saying, leave me alone, Lord. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him and thou shouldest visit him every morning? It's almost gotten to the point where he's saying, just leave me alone. And let me die. In verses 20 and 21, he said, God, I need you to forgive me my faults. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. There's a sense here in which maybe Job is understanding a little bit that, hey, I have some problems too. Maybe I'm not as righteous as I need to be. Over in Psalm chapter 19, in verse 12, the psalmist David says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Let me... There are those who believe that in order to maintain your status as a child of God, 
at the end of every day or at some point in every day, you have to confess all your sins to God. Do you remember every sin you've committed today? I can't remember them all. There's sins that I have committed that I didn't know I was committing. I didn't intend to do it, but I have done it anyway. You know, one of the biggest sins we commit every single day is we don't serve Him. We don't seek Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. You know, I have to sleep sometimes. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm watching a ball game and I'm not seeking the Lord. I'm not loving Him with every fiber of my being. Psalmist says, Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression or from much transgression. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In other words, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I can't even remember all my sins. Search me, Lord. Search me and try me and forgive me of these secret sins. There's a sense here maybe in which Job is recognizing this. All right, so... Bringing this to a close, what, what, what's, what's, the, what's the ultimate um, lessons that we get from these four chapters? Well, going back to Eliphaz, first of all, remember that Eliphaz gives us some truth, but he misapplies that truth. It is certainly true that God does some, sometimes suffer pain and tribulation to come upon us to restore us to a proper fellowship with himself you can you can see that over in hebrews the 12th chapter when he talks about chastening but while god sometimes permits suffering to restore sinners all suffering is not necessarily the chastening of god and you cannot figure out if my suffering is chastening or not, that's between me and God. When, when I was chastening my children, I didn't want any of you to interfere with me in that. So why would God want us to interfere in his chastening of his own children? So stay out of that. Now, there's a place to, and as your pastor, I'm going to tell you sometimes, if you're suffering and you're asking questions about it, I'm going to say, well, search yourself, search your heart, see, you know, talk to the Lord and see if it's the chastening of God. Maybe it is, but I'll tell you this, every time I've ever been chastened of God, I knew exactly why. He did not, he does not blindly chasten his children no more than I blindly chastened mine. I didn't just go wailing upon them and not tell them why. <laughs> you know, they knew why. And God's a better daddy than I am. So while some suffering is, is, it comes upon us in a chastening way to restore us, all suffering is not necessarily chastening. And Eliphaz looked at the outcome and leaped to the conclusion that the cause was Job himself. Beloved, you and I can't do that with each other either. We can't do that. He says Job must have sinned and his repentance will fix it. You know, just have enough faith, Job, and things will work out. Now, I'm sorry, but if you want that message, you can turn on Joel Osteen on Sunday mornings, and he'll tell you about that. But that's not the true gospel of the grace of God. You see, they say name it and claim it. But God's telling us here that sometimes suffering it's not about chastening. Sometimes suffering is coming from the devil himself or at least the world that's around us. Remember, 
Job is not being afflicted in the first place by God. And we're going to see that ultimately the suffering that he endures will eliminate his pride and bring him closer to God. And that maybe this is one reason God removed the hedge from him. But the ultimate cause of his suffering is the author of sin himself, that is, Satan. Thirdly, from Job's answer here, we see a very important truth. We need each other in troubles. We need each other in troubles. Let me tell you something. As your pastor, don't you ever hesitate to call me if you're having trouble. Now, I know I'm not God, and I can't always be there, but I'll do the best I can to get to you. And that's not just for me as a pastor. That's for us as to one another. I know I can call on you. I know I can, and you'll come running. And that's the way we ought to be with one another because we need each other in trouble. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You need one another in adversity. We need one another in trouble. Ecclesiastes 4 and verses 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Beloved, that's why we need this, this little Bethel spot that we call Zion Church. That's why we need the church of the living God. We need one another because two are better than one. Are you going to die and go to hell if you're out there on the hillsides of this, this world alone? No, you're going to be in heaven, but it's going to feel like hell. It's going to feel like the aloneness. It's going to feel like uh, suffering that you've never endured. You're going to feel terrible out there. You need one another. We need each other. This is so important. And finally, the other point we need to make here is that God is not the great fault finder, but the friend of sinners. What do you, what do you think of? When you think about David, I know what I think of. I think about his sin with Bathsheba. But over in the book of 1 Chronicles, and I forget the exact address, you can look it up. God summarizes the life of David. He talks about David being a man after his own heart. He said, he's a, he said he did, he, in every way, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you can read it, in every way he served me save only in the matter of the wife of Uriah. You know what that great sin was in David's life to God? It was a footnote. For us, it's the great billboard of David's life, isn't it? I'm so sorry that I'm that way. I'm so sorry that as humans, that's how we are. Sometimes we elevate, we, we exalt the sordid and the sinful. When God is not, listen, it was wrong. It was a sin and it caused him great problems. But that was not the summation of David's life. David's life was summed up by God as one of faithfulness, except in some areas here. God is, I'm not saying God excuses sin in any way. He doesn't wink at sin. Jesus had to die for sin. But those that he died for, who have been born of his spirit, now who are trying to serve him, God is not the great fault finder nitpicking everything we do. He's the friend of sinners. And we're told in Proverbs 18, 24, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Isaiah 41 and verse 10 
He's telling the Israelites there, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I want to leave you with this. See, this is all about this book of Job certainly is about suffering. Ultimately, as we've said already, it's really about our view of God, but, but it teaches us some things about our, our brothers and sisters that are suffering. How do we deal with them? Certainly not like Eliphaz and the other friends. There's a song out there in the contemporary Christian world by Casting Crowns. It's called Love Them Like Jesus. Love Them Like Jesus. And I want to leave you with this because I thought it pretty much summed up how we ought to be approaching people like Job who are in need of pity. And listen to these words. The love of her life is drifting away. They're losing the fight for another day. The life that she's known as falling apart, a fatherless home, a child's broken heart. You're holding her hand. You're straining for words. You're trying to make sense of it all. She's desperate for hope. Darkness clouding her view. She's looking to you. She's looking to you. Here's what we do. Just love her like Jesus. Carry her to him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You don't need the answers to all of life's questions. Just know that he loves her. Stay by her side. And love her like Jesus. Second verse. The gifts lie in wait in a room painted blue. A little blessing from heaven will be there soon. Hope fades in the night. Blue skies turn gray as the little one slips away. You're holding their hand. You're straining for words. You're trying to make sense of it all. They're desperate for hope. Darkness clouding their view. They're looking to you. Just love them like Jesus. Carry them to Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You don't need the answers to all of life's questions. Just know that He loves them. Stay by their side. and Love them like Jesus. What do we do when our brothers and sisters are in desperate need of comfort? We don't have the answers. We, we, go, we know truths from God's Word. Sometimes that's not what they need. They just need you and I to love them like Jesus. You know what we're told that He does? He makes intercession for us at the throne room of God. We're told that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. There have been times I could not pray. I could not form the words to pray. All I could do is groan in my spirit. You know what happened? Those groanings that cannot be uttered by us were taken before the throne of grace. Love them like Jesus. You know how Jesus loved us? Enough to die for us and enough to always be with us. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. 
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.